I didn't know if Robbie wanted me to sing. I had no idea what he was trying to get me to do. Uh, good morning. And uh, as the Word of God tells us, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. And so as that song was being played and I was thinking about the glory of the Lord, I couldn't help but reflect on our time away uh, out to Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons. And my goodness gracious, uh, somebody made the comment, think about the beauty of uh, our country and this world in a fallen state. Uh, what would it be like to be Adam initially? And then we look forward to the time when there's no more sin, uh, no more sorrow, uh, all that that the Word speaks about. And I wanted to begin this morning with just reading a few verses, and you don't need to turn or stand. I just want you to reflect on what the psalmist says. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord, which brings to my mind the passage in Philippians um, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say, rejoice. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also. And I got to see a lot of those peaks this last week or so, and just absolutely beautiful. Did you know there's a place on planet Earth uh, where there is snow this time of year on the peaks and the humidity? Oh, there's none of it out there. It's wonderful. So the psalmist says the peaks of the mountains are also his... The sea is his, for it is he who made it. And his hands form the dry land. How sad it is that there are so many that do not acknowledge the Lord God as creator. I was thinking as we were driving one day, I just had a thought going through the different places in Yellowstone. I was like, Lord, even the pagan enjoys your beauty even though they don't acknowledge it. Um, so we're just so, so thankful, aren't we, that we can say, Lord, you are the creator of all things. And we can enjoy your creation. And speaking of that, yesterday I had the privilege of going to the hospital and seeing the newest uh, child that will be attending uh, Grace. Um, Amy Claire had their baby on Friday and she's coming home today. When I walked in, she's, she's standing up, hey, Dad. And I'm like, hello, how did you do that? <laughs> but um, I didn't really say that out loud, but I was thinking it. And, um, but the name of the boy is Bear. Bear. And uh, let's see, 19 and something inches long and 7 pounds and something ounces. I knew all the ladies would want to know that. So you have close proximity there not quite completely accurate but close but uh, to see those two young people and they are young to be holding that little boy I tried to pick him up and 
he started crying. That poor little boy, he was in that little bucket that they had and all wrapped up in that, that cloth. And I picked that baby up. And usually the, the babies respond pretty well, but, but he had his eyes closed and he started just crying like crazy. And I'm like, oh boy. And so I said, guys, I'm sorry, but there was a pacifier right there. And so I took that passy and I said, yeah, I know what to do with that passy. Put that passy in his mouth. Pat him on his back a little bit. He calmed down. I said, thank you, Lord. Because <laughs> it's one thing to go in and, and have quiet, another thing to go out when they're yelling. So they'll tell you not to come back again. But you pray uh, for uh, Amy, Claire, and Evan, and just thank the Lord for a healthy baby that uh, we'll be able to see soon. It'll be awesome for you guys to be able to lay eyes on that little, that little boy. Boy, he's tiny. But uh, so thankful for the, for the Lord and his creation. And so why don't we uh, have a word of prayer together, and uh, then Ron will come and lead us. Father, it's so good to reflect just on who you are, all that you are, your beauty as God, the glory that is only due your name. As we see your creation in many parts of the country and around the world, we stand in awe of your beauty. We recognize that we live in a sin-cursed world and yet there is beauty. The Bible says you've made it. You spoke it. As we reflect on just your creation, we can't help but think about these little babies that come to us that are, as your word tells us, are gifts from you. So we want to just thank you for the healthy delivery of bear and we want to pray as I prayed yesterday with them that early in life this boy would come to know the Lord Jesus and I just want to um, Lord I just want to pray for the parents for Evan and Amy Claire I just pray that you would give them wisdom and guidance and help us as a church to come alongside of them and encourage them in this process as you've given them this wonderful, wonderful gift. We're so thankful for our children. We're thankful for our grandchildren. We pray, Father, that our children and our grandchildren would come to know you and that they would live for you. And, Father, that um, they would testify of your goodness one day as the Lord Jesus uh, one day will come for those who belong to him. So we pray that this service would bring honor and glory to you. And it's in the name of Christ I pray. Amen.
There we go. Okay, good. <laughs> I guess you probably heard what I said, but anyway. But we've come to worship him. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's just take this time and let's worship the Lord and let's just sing to him how majestic is your name. Let's all stand as we sing. Baby.
for sure. One thing we know for sure is we can stand on the rock of Christ. We can stand on his word. We know that it is true. Every word in it. So I want you to listen to the choir as they sing. We believe.
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because we have something to believe in. So many people all around this world have nothing to believe in except just some idol or something. We believe in the Lord God, and we have this, this solid rock to stand on. Let's have a word of prayer as the choir comes down. Father, we just want to thank you this morning that we come together to worship a living, a living God, a God who is alive today, not a dead idol. Father, you are the living God, and Lord, we just want to thank you. Father, you have given us life. You've given us eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. How can we say thanks for, for all that you've done for us? Lord, we thank you, and we praise you. We worship you this morning. We lift up your name and praise because of who you are. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised is our Lord. Oh, Father, you are our rock. You are our hope. Father, you are our eternal life, God. We just praise you. And, Lord, we just thank you that we can gather this morning and we can uh, listen to your word, Father, because we stand on your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life, as it says. And, Lord, we just want to just uh, delve into that right now and focus in on that. Lord, you have given us your word that we can stand on that. All other ground is sinking sand, Lord, but your word is truth and life. And, Lord, we just want to thank you that we have that and that you've given it to us. Lord, I pray for our Pastor Thad as he comes and brings the message this morning, Lord, that it would be what our hearts need in order to be able to be more like you in our everyday life. And as we worship together, Lord, as we leave here today, Father, we just pray that you will be satisfied with our hearts of praise and worship. Because you you're the only one who can read those hearts. So, Lord, thank you. Be with us now during this time. These things we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, I know that you're probably sitting there anticipating what book is he going to do next? And if that is your thought, then it won't be a book right now. I guess about four or five years ago, I was in between studies and I was praying about what the Lord wanted me to do. And um, I had a thought come to my mind. I believe it was given to me by the Lord, but a thought came to mind of, of just trusting the Lord week to week to give me the message that God's church needed to hear, which is a little nerve-wracking if you're um, a pastor teacher because it's nice to be able to announce a book because you know and I know what we're going to be doing from week to week, and it's comforting in the sense when you're going through a book of the Bible, and I'm committed to do that. We'll get back to a book of the Bible, but I'm just sharing my heart with you that I've always wanted to do this for the last four or five years and just haven't done it. And Finally, I said, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to trust you, and week to week, I'm going to give to these people what your truth is, keeping it in its context, but whatever it is you want me to share, that's what I'm going to share with them. 
And so for those of you who are just anchored to the fact that it has to be a book, you will probably have to either see me or um, ask the Lord to help you, or both. But I am convinced that the Lord has already given to me the first two messages, and I'm just trusting Him week to week, and if He changes it, He changes it, that's up to Him. But one thing you can always depend on is I'm going to ask you to open the Word of God, and I'm going to keep it in its context so that it's right. But I think it's important that as pastors um, that we learn to trust the Lord week to week. You say, with that you don't do that going through a book? Yeah, you do. But you already know that the next week you better open that Bible to that particular chapter and go through those particular verses because that's what the people are expecting. So for me, this is new. And for you as hearers, this is new. And if you're visiting... It may be new to you. You may have always sat under someone who went through books of the Bible. And as I said, my plan is to do that. And um, it'll probably be sometime after Labor Day. But um, I'm just trusting the Lord that he'll he'll show me um, what he wants uh, each and every week. And I'm trusting that it'll be something that, that you'll be able to take. And that you'll be able to apply and use... Um, I was asked not too long ago, Dad, what book's next? And I said, it's not a book. And, uh, but we are going to be in the book. And that's the main thing. And uh, we're going to look at it in its historical context and hopefully help us to understand a little bit better um, what the Lord wants for us as a church as we come to understand that As a body of believers in the Lord Jesus, those of you who are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, we sang those things this morning. We don't just sing those things. We stand on the truth of God's word. Uh, We believe that it's worthy of being opened every single week, don't we? It's worthy of that. And if we don't do that, then we are failing in what God has, has given us to do. So I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. But before I get to a very familiar passage, I wanted to just share some thoughts with you about the Word of God itself. Did you know this, that the Bible is still the largest selling book in the entire world, still today? Around the world. That ought to encourage us a little bit, shouldn't it? That people still have um, a desire uh, to pick up a Bible and at least peruse it, read it. (laughs) Um, Even in this culture that we live in, which the fastest growing religion is no religion. So there's plenty of opportunity. When you do run across someone who wants to open the Bible and wants to learn and wants to ask questions, there's plenty of opportunity for us to respond to those folks. Um, In a survey done by Barna just four years ago, 56% of Bible readers, now this is not Christians, these are people who just read the Bible, say that it helps them. Well, that's good, right? Um, We know as believers it helps us. We need to be in the Word of God. 
this is not done, this survey was not done with specifically believers in mind, but just people in general. Six in ten Americans believe the Bible has made somewhat of a difference in their life. That's interesting, isn't it? That people even who may be pagan would pick up the Bible to read it. And you and I have some to do with that in the sense that if we are disciplined in our approach to the Scriptures and we are consistently reading the Word of God, then when someone asks us a question, we'll be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us, which is a biblical issue, according to Peter. Um, Thomas Brooks said of God's Word the following. I thought this was very awesome. It is a light to guide you. A counselor to counsel you. We live in a counseling culture. People need counsel all the time. Well, the Word of God provides the counsel that you and I need. And even when someone comes to us for counsel, because as believers we're all counselors, you may not have a a title on your door, so to speak, but you're a counselor. When people come to you for counseling, what is it that you ultimately point them to? Well, it, I believe, should be the Word of God. He goes on to say, the Word of God is a staff to support you. Boy, how many times have you needed support in your life as a Christian, just on a daily basis, whether it's going through financial difficulties or whether it's handling a rebellious child, whatever it is. It's a sword, he says, to defend you. He says it's a physician to cure you, right? The Word of God is a mind to enrich you, a robe to clothe you. Guys, we need the Word of God in our life every single day. How important is the Word of God? Well, I read a story of an atheistic college professor who visited the Fiji Islands and critically remarked to an elderly chief, you're a great leader, but it is a pity you've been taken in by those missionaries who surround you. They only want to get rich through you. No one believes the Bible anymore in our culture. He went on to say, they know better now. I am sorry that you have been so foolish to believe their message. <laughs> well, here's the chief's response to that. He said to the man, do you see that great rock over there? On it, we smashed the heads of our victims and we roasted their bodies in that furnace next to the rock. If it had not been for the missionaries and the word of God that changed us, you would never leave this place alive. You had better thank the Lord for the gospel. Otherwise, we'd already be feasting on you. You know, when I read that, I thought, well, that's very powerful, isn't it? The Word of God, it changes people's lives. People are saved by listening to the Word of God. People's lives are changed by listening to the Word of God. You know what has crept into the church, I think, for some? I think there's, there's been a dismissal of God's working in people's lives. 
I don't know how that sounds to you, but I think for those of us who've been saved a long time, those of us who have known the Lord personally for a long time, man, shouldn't we be desiring change in the lives of young people and even our own lives? And shouldn't we rejoice when we see the Word of God working in the hearts and lives of people? Shouldn't we expect that the Word of God, the powerful Word of God, would work in the hearts of people to change them? Shouldn't we expect that? I don't know that the church has not become just a place to go. I go to church. But what am I expecting the Lord to do through his word? Am I expecting there to be change even in my life today? I mean, are you expecting that you'll walk out of this sanctuary change today because of the word of God? Not because of me. Not because of a Sunday school teacher. We don't glorify men. We glorify God. But is it the word of God that is going to change you today? Your heart's mind and attitude? Well... I think it's easy to come into a sanctuary or into a classroom and expect a teacher to teach. And we can walk out and say, oh, that teacher did a great job. Aren't they a great teacher? Aren't they a great preacher? But is that really the issue? Or is the issue more about taking what God has shown us and then applying that to our lives? Yeah, that's what it's about. And I think that's where the difficulty is in the church. I think it's been here for a long time. I think people love to hear teachers. And people love to hear preachers. But when you say, listen, we just heard a great sermon from Pastor John. Man, we need to apply what Pastor John said from God's word today. That's where people go, eh, you know. No, no, no. We don't ever get, this is very important to hear, we do not ever get to the point where we say, I don't need to change. We don't get there. Not in this lifetime. We're all flawed. We err. We sin. We need reminders of what God has already said. I heard that uh, Dr. Hughley was preaching last Sunday. And um, I know that to be true because this pulpit was raised up to about right here. I could barely see over the pulpit. But my understanding is that, and I haven't got a chance to listen to it yet, but my understanding is that he went to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. That's where it starts. In the beginning, God. So how critical is it for us to be students of the Word of God? Men and women, young people, boys and girls committed to the Word of God in our lives. Young people, I, I was asked a question this last week. If I could preach one sermon to young people, what would it be? <laughs> I was like, man, how long do I have? Um, it would be that the Lord God loves you, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You need to believe in him and what he's done for you at the cross in order to have eternal life. And young people... You need to stay in this book because the world has numerous messages for you. 
It is, listen, you do not have to walk far out these doors in the back to know that the world is after you. To capture you. To capture your mind. To say to you, oh, that Christianity, that's just a bunch of hogwash. Those people are crazy. We sang, or the choir did. I'd love to sing that sometime, Ron, with the choir. But we believe. We stand on these things. You have in your, um, hopefully everybody received a handout when they walked in the door. Any of you not receive one? Well, I'm sorry, you front row people did not receive one. But these folks in the front, I think Bill and Debbie White, and then Jim Franklin, y'all know them? They did not receive a sheet. If you did not receive a sheet, please put your hand up. Before I get to 2 Timothy and talk about that, just when Bill walks back in, you can throw your hand up. But I've been thinking about what we believe. Is that important? Does it matter? Do you know what I'm increasingly running into? People who take um, what I would call um, a smorgasbord view of doctrine. I'm going to take this. I like this. But I don't necessarily have to like this. And I'm going to believe that. But I don't necessarily have to hold on to that. It's like a buffet. You know you get a buffet? Right? I don't, I'm not a fan of buffets too much. Because there's so many people touching stuff. But... But when you think about all that's offered on a buffet, pick and choose what you want. Pick the meat you want. You don't want any meat, you don't have to have meat. Right? You, you want just vegetables? You want those rolls? Remember years ago when Quincy's had that, um, boy, those, you have to be older like me to remember that. Those rolls were worth going to that buffet for. Everything else might have stunk, but that was good. And so, you know, you go to these buffets and you just can pick and choose what you want. I think today, more than I've been exposed to in my lifetime, I think you can go into churches today and, and, and people are picking and choosing what they want to believe. That's a dangerous thing. And so what are we handing down to these young people all around these, this room? We need to be able to hand down to them just like we sung today, we believe. Yeah, I've been saved since I was seven. I believe. I don't ever remember a time in my life where I questioned the authority of God's word, the sufficiency of the word. I just don't remember that. If I ever did, I don't, I don't remember. I don't have recall. I believe what God has said. I believe it's true. I believe it's not only true for me, but it's true for you. And every single person needs to hear and be committed to the word of God. And pastors and teachers around our country, you know what they need? They need a lesson in this. You will stand before the Lord one day and you will give an account for what you say about his word. It is very, very clear. And I am very, very thankful to be able to say that in my lifetime, in 51 years as a believer, I have been in churches that have preached and have taught the word of God and have never backed away from that. I'm thankful for that. So I ask you this morning before we get into this passage in 2 Timothy, which is a, just a reminder, a lot of reminder to us. Do you know what we believe here at Grace? <laughs> when was the last time you read this doctrinal statement? I mean, for some of you, it might have been 
40 years, <laughs> right? If you consider the merging of the churches and how the Lord brought that together. But these are the things that we hold valuable, that we hold to be true. Notice where it begins, the Bible. The Bible. We believe that the Holy Bible is inerrant without error in its original form, consisting of the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, is inspired by God or God-breathed, written by holy men, moved by the Holy Spirit, and is a treasure of heavenly instruction, that it has God for its author and its supreme and final authority of faith and life. You believe that? And let me do that again. Do you believe that? not going to read through all these, but we'll read through the next one. We believe that there is one and only one living and true God. An infinite, intelligent spirit whose name is Jehovah, the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth. You believe that? We believe that there is one God existing in the Trinity form of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You believe that? I wonder if you took this doctrinal statement and just kind of went up and down the street and read it and you asked for a verbal response. Do you believe that? Where people would agree and where people would disagree. That's why, by the way, there are so many churches on the street. Did you know that? Because there are people who are committed to the Word of God and to the doctrines of Scripture and then there are people who are they look at doctrine today and they even look at it like a four-letter word. That's just a bad word. If we bring up that word doctrine, then pe- young people are going to leave us and we need them to stay. We need people to stay, so we have to make sure we tiptoe around the difficult subjects and so people will keep giving their money so that we can exist and if we don't say the things that are palatable, then they will leave. I could never do that. I would hope you'd never want me to do that. I could never do that. I could never say that salvation is through some other way other than through the Lord Jesus Christ. How could you say something different? How could you even say that it's faith plus works? Because the Bible's clear that it's not. But you go up and down the streets in the city of Birmingham... And around the edges of Birmingham, and you will find many churches that do not declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to take you back to a time this morning. I would encourage you to read through all that. Like just for an exercise this morning, if you find a buffet, right, this afternoon, and you go to lunch, I don't even know where that would be these days. They have Chinese buffets. I'm not too crazy about that either. But if you read through that, I think it's a healthy thing, don't you? To reread this, to, to look at, hey, this is what we believe and teach and proclaim at grace. And by the way, all of these things in here are very critical to our understanding of what the Lord has told us through His Word. One that we won't talk about today, but boy, it deserves plenty of sermons is the distinction between Israel and the church. 
Shake your head. There's a difference in God's program between Israel and the church. There are far too many people today who look at that issue and say, ah, that just doesn't matter. But it does matter. Do you know it goes back even to the testimony of God himself beginning in the Abrahamic covenant? An unconditional covenant. People today say, well, how much does that stuff really matter? Well, are we allowed to change God's word? I was thirsty anyway. Are we allowed to change God's word? Do we say God's promises? Well, he really didn't mean that. I mean, really, if you go back and you put, put Exodus through the Abrahamic covenant, and you say, well, there, God's got no plan for Israel now. The church has replaced Israel. Then you're Xing through the covenants. And what does that speak to? God. And can God change? No, he cannot. So it goes back to promises. That one alone could keep me in this pulpit for, oh, about five days. Because God has a plan for his people, Israel, and he's got a plan for us, the church. And they're distinct as you read through the scriptures. Well... I want to take you back to 2 Timothy, and I want to begin in chapter 1. We're eventually going to get to chapter 3. I want to show you some things that you can be reminded of. You already know these things, but many of you do. But I think it's important to put it in this historical context, considering that um, Paul, in the second missionary journey, came to meet a man named Timothy. You remember that? In Acts chapter 16. What do we know about Timothy? Well, we know the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16 that his mother was a woman of faith. She was a believer. That's how the word describes her. But that his father was a Greek. Well, that's different, isn't it? That's a divided home in a sense, is it not? And so as we come to 2 Timothy, we come to understand Paul as he writes to this young man in the faith at the end of his life. And I want to begin in verse 5. Just before this, Paul tells Timothy, Hey, look, I'm longing to see you. I really want to see you. In fact, um, he, he just has this overwhelming um, desire to see this young man who would come behind him in the faith, who he had spent time with, who he trained, who he equipped. Notice verse 5 says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. Boy, that had to be a comfort for Paul to write to Timothy. Which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois. I, I love this. That's how it works, isn't it? Right? We have our family and our faith is handed down to us from one generation to the other. Not all the time does it happen like that. But in this case... Paul's writing, he says, look, I'm mindful of the sincere faith which, within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this, I, this reason, verse 6, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, of me as prisoner, but join with me 
and partying. That's not what he says. Join with me in suffering. It's amazing he didn't write that, but obviously Timothy knew there was suffering. In suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. For I know, look at this, whom, underscore that, whom I have believed, and I am convinced some translations have persuaded that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Timothy, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which you are in Christ Jesus. You know what he's telling him? He said, I've been committed to sound words. I want you to be committed to sound words. You know what our culture needs today more than anything? They need us as Christians to hold on to sound words, even though they know nothing about it. We need to hold on to sound words, sound words, the Word of God. He says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you, the gospel. Notice what he says, you wear the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Notice he doesn't say they turned away from the Lord. That's very important here. You have to understand the cultural context and the suffering that was going on in the first century. So like when it says, Demas has forsaken me, Paul Bright wrote that. Well, he didn't, he didn't forsake the Lord. There's no evidence that that's what he's talking about. But he did forsake Paul. You know, let me illustrate that. Let's say I was the Apostle Paul, and, I, and I'm marching right along, and I'm preaching the Word, and I, I'm declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're with me, and you're part of this crowd, and we're walking up and down, and all of a sudden they arrest me, and they take me away, and you're like, uh, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Does that mean you're rejecting Christ? No, I don't believe that's what it says here. Paul says that they had rejected him. He says, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So these others obviously had an issue with that uh, being ashamed. But when he was in Rome, he earnestly searched for me and found me. The Lord granted him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. So he's being encouraged here to retain the sound words with which Paul spoke. You hold on to those things. Listen to me. How many parents in here so desperately want their children to hold on to sound words? Raise your hand. You want that, right? You want your grandchildren to hold on to what? Sound words. What's the enemy to sound words? The world. Satan. False messages, just like have being proclaimed and have been in colleges and universities. They teach evolution as fact, not theory. Church, right, is awake to that, right? Listen, in the beginning, God had a plan. He had a plan. The Bible says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's the plan. Is that plan A? That's all the plan there is. See, man has chosen to say, well, has God really said these things? 
And that's why you have churches that are lining up to say, well, how do we feel about this? Who cares how you feel about it? God's already said, right? And so we're allowing discussion to go on that's, to me, in my personal opinion, ridiculous. I'm not saying that one sin is greater than another sin. Because adultery is sin. Fornication is sin. There's lots of sin. But what I am saying is that God in the beginning had a plan. And man has said, you know what, we got a better plan. Well, how many of you as parents want your children to understand God's plan? See, this is what's happened. They look at us, those who have a difficulty with God's plan, and we become the enemy. Here's the reality. We're not the enemy. Not really. Who's the enemy? God is. God has said this, and I don't like it. Well, how many of us in this room today could say, man, God said a lot, and it's hard. It is hard. Well, God has a plan. Man has altered the plan. So we need to hold on to, just like Paul told Timothy, we need to hold on to sound words. We don't need to stray or find vocabulary that is palatable to people so that they accept us. It's not what he says to do. Well, you come to chapter 2, and we see in chapter 2, he tells him in verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. But he tells Timothy, this is what you're to do. You're to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman. Who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That's your responsibility. Your responsibility is put in the hours, all the blood, the sweat, the tears that it takes to give out God's truth, God's word. Young people, you need to know this. We want you to hold on to that. But can I encourage you? You're not going to be the only one holding on to that. Your parents are going to be holding on to that. Your grandparents, some of them, will be holding on to that. See, we're encouraging you to do something that's good for you. We want you to hold on to the words of God, sound words. And so Paul tells Timothy, hey, you be diligent to study, to present yourself all right, as one who's not ashamed, but you're accurately dividing, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, then he comes down to chapter 3. In verse 1 he says this, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Uh, we're there. If you needed the memo, we're there. For men will be lovers of self. Check the boxes. True? Check. Lovers of money. You say check if it's true. Check. Boastful? Check. Arrogant? Check. Revilers? Check. Disobedient to parents? Check. Ungrateful? Can I just stop on that one for just a second? We may live in the most ungrateful culture I've ever been a part of. You don't hear thank you a lot these days. Now, I don't know who to point that at 
I have a thought that it starts at home. But boy, I know some homes where thankfulness is taught and young people are just putting their arms like this and saying, I ain't doing that. You think culture is really that hard? Yeah, I do. Ungrateful. Unholy? Check. Unloving? Irreconcilable? Check, check. Malicious gossips? By the way, there's a lot of ways to gossip in our culture. It doesn't have to be in conversation anymore, verbal. You can do that Facebook stuff and all that different stuff, and there's gossip all going all through there. Without self-control, check. Brutal, check. Man, the brutality just in the last two or three years can you imagine what it's going to be like when the church is taken? My goodness gracious. Haters of good, <clears throat> treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Why is he writing all this to Timothy? Why? You ever thought about that? I mean, there's a lot to talk about. He could have talked about the Lord through the whole thing. Hey, Lord's this and the Lord's that. And Timothy would have been like, yay, that's right. I think there's a couple of reasons. I think part of it has to do with the personality of Timothy. You remember, Timothy was a timid fellow. He wasn't like Paul. Paul was willing to look at somebody in the eye and say, yeah, that's wrong. God has said it. Well, Timothy doesn't appear to be that kind of guy. So it seems to me that, that Paul is giving a refresher course to Timothy on the culture. And if we think that last days is only now, now they, Paul's mind was he was living in that, right? That that was right there. That was going on. All of these things. And he wanted Timothy to be aware of the fact. Well, if you skip down a little bit, to verse 5, it says, Hold them to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And then he gives him some more instruction, and we come down to verse 10. He says, Now you followed my teaching and conduct. This is quite a statement, really. Purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. In other words, I've been in one you can imitate, which, which really connects to another passage of Scripture where Paul writes in the book of Corinthians, imitate me as I what? Imitate Christ. And we know that word imitate means to mimic. That's quite a statement Paul's making. Mimic me. Right? Some might look at that and think he's being arrogant. I don't think he's being arrogant at all. He's just saying, look, I'm following the Lord. I'm imitating him. You imitate me because I'm imitating him. It's very convicting when you really think about it. He says, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, Faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of all of them the Lord rescued me. And this is quite a statement indeed. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if that's your desire, Timothy, you're going to be persecuted. If that's your desire this morning, 
you're going to be persecuted. And it may be as simple as saying this, I'm going to stand on the fact that there is life at conception. There's life. I may, I may be the one that has to say, yes, there's life. I hold on to that. I hold on to the life. Or I hold on to what God says about marriage, about a husband and about a wife. Maybe those things. Well, then he says, verse 13, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And here it is. You, however, Timothy, continue in the things you have what? What have you learned and become convinced of? What are those things? Well, he tells us, knowing from whom you've learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You continue in those things you've learned, Timothy. And then we come to the section of Scripture we'll come back to in just a moment. But then you go to chapter 4, he says... Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. Guys, we're living in that time. We're living in those days. Just before Paul warns Timothy about that, he talks to, to him about the benefits of the Word of God. And I just want to give you three or four things to think about this morning as it relates to the Word of God. Notice what he says, verse 16, All Scripture is inspired or God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate. That's not a really good translation. When we think about adequate, we think about just being good enough. The word there, so that the man of God may be complete, completes the word. That's a better word, equipped for every good work. Let's talk just for a moment about these words here. He says the word of God is profitable for teaching. That word profitable there means useful. The word of God is useful. It's useful in your life. It's useful in my life. It's just like the author of Hebrews said. I was going to read this earlier, but... The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 about the power of the Word of God. He says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what we need in our life is the Word of God. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. The Word of God is useful. It penetrates our lives. It teaches us, he says. The word teaching there is the word doctrine. So that little sheet of paper that I gave you, and this is the reason I gave it to you, this afternoon, you pick that piece of paper up and remind yourself, 
These are the things that we believe at Grace. And hopefully you believe those things. If you're a member of Grace, you've already signed that covenant. And you're, you were saying, sign that covenant. I believe those things. When I think about doctrine, I think about teaching what is right. This is what is right. This is what God has already said about life. This is what God has said about marriage. This is what God has said about money. You put a category there. God's already spoken of it. He's already told us. We have a tremendous advantage, don't we, in understanding because we have the full revelation of God. For Timothy, what did Timothy have? He had the Old Testament, right? And he had the things that were being written, but we have it all right in front of our eyes. We have it all. And so Paul says to Timothy that it's profitable or it's useful for instruction or doctrine or teaching. So, how many of you understand the doctrines that are spoken about here on this sheet? Do you understand those things? Isn't it good every once in a while just to read through those things? To remind ourselves of what it is that we believe as it relates to sanctification? Did you know that's a threefold process? Did you know that? Is it good to be reminded of that? It absolutely is critical to be reminded of that. Because we know that in sanctification, the Lord is continuing to do His work in us. And that ultimately we, we will be set apart to Him forever and ever. So all these things are so, so critical. And Paul is telling Timothy in that culture, in that polytheistic, pagan culture, listen, Timothy, you understand this. The Word of God is useful to you. It's useful for teaching, for doctrine. Then he says, secondly, it's useful not only for teaching but for reproof. I'm not sure how great or how much Timothy thought this was wonderful because that word reproof there means rebuke. It's profitable, Timothy, for rebuke. It's profitable for finding fault. Right? That's the meaning of the term. For confirming or confronting our sin. That's a subject that is not popular no matter what hall you walk down. doesn't matter. You can walk down any hall for someone to talk about the doctrine of sin. Well, that's just not too, too, uh, too thoughtful of them to talk about that doctrine. Well, but hold on a second. If we go to our doctrinal statement, it talks about sin. Did you know that? So if you're going to be a member here at Grace, you, you probably ought to read that. And understand that man fell, right? And that down there at the bottom of page one, that man fell from that holy and happy state, in consequence of which all people are now sinners. You say, oh, well, you just say that. No, God said it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's in the word of God. So all of these things that we talk about are right here in our doctrinal statement. So one of the benefits of studying the Word, Paul tells Timothy, is listen, not only does it teach us, it puts us in line with good doctrine, but it's also profitable in that it corrects us, it finds fault, it reproves, it rebukes. That's what he says. The Bible has the power to expose our sin. I think one of the things that has been difficult probably for all Christians from beginning to end, so to speak, is looking and examining and honestly examining our lives. 
If we allow the Word of God to be that one that finds fault, and allow the Spirit of God to work in us, what is going on in my life that's not in alignment with the Lord? Which leads us to the issue of correction. Notice what he says. He says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. That word correction there means to bring back into line. It's a picture of a right alignment. Now, some of you guys go to the chiropractor. How many of you go to the chiropractor? You know, you go to the chiropractor, and and he's going to put you back in what? In line. My intention is never to visit one of those people. I just have this horrible thought process about all that could take place there. So I've never been, and I don't intend on going. But when I think about, personally, when I think about alignment, I think, I thought about a car. Right? Like if a car is out of alignment, that's kind of rough, isn't it? Because you can go to the left or you can go to the right. Neither one of those is good. When you're in traffic, you need to be going where you need to go. Right? And that's right in front of you. Well, if your car is out of alignment, you know it. And guys, I, I believe this. That a believer understands when they're out of alignment. And they need the Word of God to bring them back into alignment. I think I shared this with you a few weeks ago, but you've probably forgotten by now anyway. But I had a, um, somebody ask me not too long ago about sin and the process of sin in your life. And um, they said, that, do you ever come to a point in your life where you, really, you just are blatantly looking at the Lord and just saying, I'm going to do this? I said, oh, yeah. How many of you understand what God's Word says about sin? A lot, right? There's a lot in here we understand. We know where God draws the lines in the sand. And I told this person, I said, listen, there are times, and I'm not saying it happens all the time, but there are times when maybe as a believer in Christ, I've looked at the Lord knowing this was wrong and said, I'm going to do it anyway. Anybody ever been guilty of that? Well, the Word of God can bring us back into right alignment. I think about how that happened in David's life. You remember that? It happened in David's life. Nathan had to go to David to put him back in what? Alignment. To show him, hey, you are the man. This is what God has said. You're the one. Not anyone else. So it brings us back into line. It's important to understand, though, as we come back into line, and this is, very, this is an encouraging piece, that we're, we're brought back into line. That fellowship can be restored. Because the Bible, we just learned that in 1 John, didn't we? That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, then the last point that he makes here in verse 16, he says, Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And then he says, for child training. That's the word there in the original language. Child training. There's a couple of things about that word that um, I think you need to know. First of all, this word implies process. Child training is process. You remember, there's a great example of this, that in the Old Testament, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you have there uh, a command given to Israel, and it was the Shema. Okay, do you guys familiar with that? I'm just going to read it. You don't need to turn there. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you have what is known in verses 4 and 5 as the 
Shema. And in application, the Shema had, had, this, had this at its central focus, allowing the Word to sink in. So the more we take it in, the more it's going to sink in. And this is what the Lord told Israel. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And here it is, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You say, well, what was Israel supposed to do with that? Just sit on it? No. The Bible says this is what they were to do. Listen to these words. This is what I'm commanding you today. These words which I am commanding you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. Oh. So I don't just sit on the truth. I don't just look at this sheet of paper and go, that's nice. Somebody did a nice job of putting that doctrinal statement together. No, I pass on the truth. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, meaning what? All the time. You are to teach. So teaching is process. So one of the things that we have to back off and think through is that as we are teaching, and we'll just use for the sake of illustration, our children, the Word of God, allow the process to go on, right? You may be in your 40s and you've been saved 20 years where your child may have just been saved last year. They're not going to know what you know. But that's why we teach them, because we want the Word of God to take root in them. And he goes on to say, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, the author is saying this, Hey, look, put this out where everyone can see. And that's what we're to do as we teach our children and our grandchildren what God's Word says. So this implies process, but it also implies that the Word of God is going to help us deal with life. Does it do that? Answer, it does that. What does it teach us? Well, I wrote some things down to consider. The Word of God teaches us about the Savior. There's only one Savior. The Word of God teaches us how we might have eternal life. The Word of God teaches us how to be a son. The Word of God teaches us how to be a daughter it teaches us how to be a husband. It teaches us how to be a wife. It teaches us how to parent. It teaches us how to be a grandparent. you believe all that? It teaches us that. It teaches us how we should be as believers. It teaches us how to understand the unbeliever. It teaches us what we're to be as friends. It teaches us what we're to do with our enemies. We're to shoot them, right? Not what it teaches us. It teaches we're to pray for these people. That's what it teaches us. And it teaches us right from wrong. 
Well, when I was growing up in the 1970s and early 80s, right from wrong, clear as a bell. I mean, this is what it says, this is what it means, this is what you're to do, this is what you're not to do. Culture we live in today, this is what it says, not sure what it means for me, and the rest of it doesn't even matter. Doesn't even matter. As you think about the profitability or usefulness of the Word of God, what comes to your mind? As I think about the profitability of the Word of God, I can only think of the time that I haven't spent in the Word. I need to spend more. How about you? There's an opportunity for you to do that. And I want to make just a couple of announcements before Ron comes and closes with a song. One of those announcements I wanted to make right now because it fits is we're going to begin a Bible Institute here at the church uh, beginning August the 22nd. The primary focal point will be for our community. We want people to come and, and want people to learn more about the Word of God. But obviously it's not limited to the community. You're more than uh, able to sign up for that. The classes will begin on August the 22nd. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. And the very first uh, subject that we'll deal with is how to study the Bible. How does one approach the Bible in the culture we live in today? So I trust that you'll consider it and that you'll consider passing on that information to folks that you may know uh, who may want to take part in something like that. All right? Well, let's pray together. Then Ron's going to come and, and lead us. Father, this morning we're thankful that... Um, you're in charge. We're thankful to know, Father, that your word is true, that we stand on your word, that we understand that um, we can stand on the word of God not only uh, today, but we can tomorrow and the next day and the next because you never change. We all probably have um, some improvement in terms of being in your word I pray that as your spirit prods us to those things, that we would be faithful to spend the time that we need in order that, um, Lord, um, there would be change that would take place in our lives. As we consider the things that you want for our lives, I just pray that your spirit would continue to lead us and guide us. For those of us, those in here, excuse me, who may not um, know you today, I pray that even today could be the day of salvation for them. And I pray that your spirit would work in their hearts and lives and help them to understand that Jesus Christ loved them so much that he died for them. And so I just pray that you would um, guard us and guide us as we uh, every day seek to hopefully glorify you in all that we do and say. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. Looking for, looking for a song that uh, we could close out today. And it was amazing to me. I talked to Thad, or I hadn't had a chance to talk to Thad. It's a little ringing up here, please. Um, but uh, 
uh, I asked him because we were singing the song We Believe, and I, asked, I sent him a text. I said, well, what, are you, what are you planning on preaching on? And he says, the Word of God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, again. You, you, you did such a wonderful job. But anyway, and right off the bat, it just, there was this song that I came across, and, and I've heard it, and I've really liked it. Um, and I want to teach it to you right now. I mean, it's an easy song, so I want you to sing along with me, okay? This is not a solo. Matter of fact, I'm going to teach it to the choir, and we're going to do it again because it'll sound much better that way. But um, anyway, ancient words. I think that's what Thad was talking about, ancient words. Let's sing this together, okay? for our walk in this world they resound with God's own heart oh let the ancient words impart words of life words of hope give us strength help us cope in this world where'er we roam, ancient words will guide us home. Ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. We have come with open hearts, oh let the ancient words impart holy words of our faith handed down to this age came to us through sacrifice oh heed the faithful words of Christ Ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. We have come with open hearts, oh let the ancient words impart. Ancient words ever true, changing me. blood stains each page they have died for this faith hear them cry through the years heed those words and hold them dear ancient words former true changing Ancient words in 
ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. We have come with open hearts, oh, let the ancient words With open hearts, oh, let the ancient words God's Word. Amen. I want to just make a couple of announcements before we leave uh, today. First of all, um, we are going this month through the deacon elder nomination process. I explained that a couple of weeks ago. And there are boxes out in the foyer and uh, ballots there. I trust you've had time to, to read over the qualifications and consider that. If you'll just put your forms in those drop boxes, we'd really, really appreciate it. The deadline for that is the 30th of this month, okay? Also, um, I wanted to make mention of the Churchwide Stake and Shake Fellowship. Remember that? Which stake will you get? Uh, but it's on July the 30th, and the sign-up for that is out in the foyer. Guys, we need the fellowship. It's important that the body of Christ would have that. I encourage you to sign up for that. It would be a great day for all of us just to spend more time with each other than just the hour or two that we have here on Sunday morning, all right? Let's bow and pray together, and then you'll be dismissed. Father, again, we're so thankful for your word. We thank you that, uh, Lord, you've encouraged us in the word not to just be hearers but doers, and I pray that would be true of our life as we go forward this week. And uh, we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.